0: This is the DLR cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, everyone, you've got the DLR cast, the only podcast by and for fans of the Diamond one, Diamond David Lee Roth. I'm Steve Long, as always, with my good friend, Darren Paltrowitz. Darren, what's happening? Hmm.
1: What is happening? That's um, <laughs> what I don't know. How, how do you answer that these days? Do you do you actually say what's happening or you just say good? What What do you Thank say?
0: I it can change by the hours sometimes, you know? So
1: Yeah. I or do you say what's happening now? Because that the spin off?
0: Channel my inner uh my inner oh, my Frank my inner Frank br- Barry. Frank, yeah, there we go. Hey Dwayne. <laughs>
1: yeah, hey, hey, hey. Um <laughs> exactly. <laughs> either way, hey, uh we promised you a part two of Frank Meyer, but but that's that's not all.
0: but that's not all exactly so yeah if you if um if you enjoyed part one of the frank Meyer interview you're going to love part two just as i alluded to the first time i the interview is great and this one continues that great streak just hilarious stuff frank is just a great conversationalist but you had some other recent conversations as well
1: well we do get a little more eddie centric in that one but hey if it's connected to eddie it's connected to diamond dave but you know, I, I think we've talked about this far. I have this bad habit of not just taping too many interviews, but fitting Van Halen into 90% of them when it's not always appropriate to do so. Like today, I was talking to the singer of Rise Against, and I fit in Van Halen <laughs> after I fit in Skid Row. But um, yeah, about a week and a half ago, I spoke with Travis Tritt, who was on uh, which Diamond Dave gem?
0: Your Filthy Little Mouth, a duet called Your Cheatin' Heart Cafe. Dave yes. Stabbit, Early Stabbit Country.
1: I put you right on the spot there and you passed the test. <laughs> um, I had an interview with Travis Tritt because somebody else couldn't do it and they wanted it done. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. And then, um, you know, OK, I have to ask him about the new album. Wait a second. He was on a Roth album. Because, <laughs> you know, admittedly, I've listened the least of the whole Dave catalog to that album. It's got its fine moments, but I just haven't listened to it as much as you or other folks have. So I dug in, listened to it, and I asked him about it. And he actually perked up a little bit of it. It's on my YouTube if anyone clicks, but he, I don't know if this is correct. He said that Dave reached out to him after he quit Van Halen, and he was surprised to hear from him and that he'd quit Van Halen was travis trip prominent in 85
0: 86 i'd have to go back and look at the discography but as someone who paid attention to to a lot of country stuff because i was selling that stuff in the 90s i really think he broke late 80s early 90s um, yeah so I, think I, re- there be- I remember seeing him headline an arena show here in minneapolis and that was somewhere between 94 and 96 so
1: Yeah, so I think the timeline might be a little fuzzy on that one. But the key is that Dave reached out to Travis Tritt and basically said, hey, I want to work with you. I'm a big fan. And something that came up in that Joe Rogan interview is that he listens a lot to outlaw country on Sirius. Makes sense. There is, you know, there's the occasional Dave thing that you can listen to and go, I hear some country in there. Um, yeah i'm good you could argue's got some country vibes to it some so, twanginess not the and, biggest shocker but uh and,
0: and certainly the new song the most recent song giddy up yeah uh, that's got a twang to it and i'm um, certainly for a number of reasons well a ton of reasons why i'm curious to listen finally hear that record that uh that's in the can they did with john five is that it's gonna have that country bent to it john five that guy he grew up on country grew up on hee-haw that guy's a master finger picker so yeah i mean and and dave as we know will cross genres uh interestingly and pretty readily uh no big thing aside we can just leave out the <laughs> reggae bit from your filthy little mouth however i actually like that song your uh, uh cheating hard cafe and i would bet you could count on one hand in the last 10 years how often travis has been been asked about that song and is as collaboration with david lee roth so no wonder why he perked up
1: (laughs) (laughs) well he said he had fun doing it he liked dave this wasn't a story that had any negative lean to it he did say you know a pessimistic thing or two about his career in the interview so to hear just flat out positive stuff about dave is a good thing and then a couple days after i wound up speaking again with steve lukather from toto they're promoting a cool live album that they recorded during the pandemic a live stream that they turned into something and let's face it he crossed crossed paths a lot with eddie van halen
0: oh they oh. were one they were they were best of friends yeah and he did all the guitar work save for the solo and beat it on in on michael jackson's thriller so uh, at least 90% of it, i mean yeah Lukather has played on more albums than i think anyone in history i mean the guy was the most prolific session musician the last well Geez, since the mid 70s. I mean, Toto came out of Toto was they were session musicians.
1: Well, there's two things that I learned. One, I have a feeling you're going to go, of course. Why didn't you know that, Darren? You poser, you new, <laughs> you idiot, um, you simpleton for the Van Halen fan base. But did, did you know that Lucather played on a Van Halen album? Wait a minute. What? He said. Sing- right
0: was it with sammy yes okay
1: <laughs> but well then again he was on a cheap trick album was he on voices or
0: yeah for whatever reason rick wasn't around and worman needed a solo pu- punched in so he did the solo for voices yes
1: okay so every now and then he played on a cool non-smooth jazz non-r&b non-soul record
0: but yeah. he's done a lot of good rock stuff
1: in the case of van halen he said because him and Eddie were close, he hung around 5150 a lot, and he's singing on top of the world. Really? Yeah, he's in the gang vocal chorus part to it. If you look on Wikipedia, it says, Steve, look at their vocals and guitar. He told me he didn't play guitar on it, that he's not sure why he had the credit. But I didn't know that. I'm su- I- I'm surprised you didn't.
0: I I had, I had no idea. Admittedly, I there's a lot... Even though I have those records and like those records, did they get played as much, anywhere near as much as the original VH6? Right. No. no. So I mean, I, I obviously missed missed the credits. It's funny because I was, I was just thinking of um, the OU812 record recently and how much I like that record, especially. I think that's does that album open with uh, Mine All Mine? I think or. And, man, I, I love that song. There was some great stuff there. It begs the question, too. I mean, I wonder if there was some other guests from those eras that we just don't know about or, or, or showed up that maybe didn't make the credits. But
1: I wouldn't be surprised if Leslie West was on something. Dweezil Zappa was on something.
0: At <laughs> least vocals. I, can, I, I can't imagine anybody played any guitar. I wonder. I don't think Sammy ever played any rhythm guitar or any guitar on any of the, on the stuff he did with them. And he was no slouch as a guitarist. I think there's a,
1: there's one song he did play rhythm on. And is it Finish What You Started? Somebody was talking about this recently. I forget ah. what it is. It's one song that's a two-guitar song. Well, either way, that I learned. The second thing is the first Dave EP is cover session musician-centric. Both covers, session players. Right. He said to Luke there, Mr. Luke. Um, whatever you want to call him. Did the chance to play with David Lee Roth ever come up? And he said he was asked to play with David Lee Roth. And he went to Eddie for kind of his blessing and went, would it be weird? Should I do this? And Eddie said something like, you could do it. Just don't play too good on it. (laughs) (laughs) But then uh, I guess the call never officially came For the specific session like maybe it's hey are you potentially available for this
0: yeah it could and it could have been the sort of thing too where if it's if it's that ep i mean templeman is is making some calls to get you know here's this window we're in the studio we're doing coconut grove we're doing california you know and i i can't imagine that album took that ep i should say took very long to record so
1: yeah four songs i wouldn't be surprised Max three days per song, yeah, <laughs> and Dave in the studio for one day. like, in other words, Templeman cutting all the instrumental tracks and then bringing him in
0: but it, possibly, although I, I do you think Dave would relinquish control on that stuff? I mean, he is a real control freak. I can't I'd be surprised, even as crazy as his life was in eighty five. You know, it's like, hey, I want to watch. The, I want to watch the drum tracks play, but I got a date with two hot twins. Like a ladder of old my Cheerios, you know what I mean? You know, <laughs> <laughs> whatever be, it was, yeah. I'd be, I'd be surprised uh, if if, if uh, he was in the studio so much, especially. I mean, granted, the EP was a lark, but there was some pressure on him when you think of it. I mean, this is stepping out for the first time solo, and it was before he left Van Halen, so I'm sure deep you know he certainly didn't want it to fail right and it, then it blew up
1: fair although you could argue no one knew it was coming so there's less pressure to just go yep we did it here you go that's true that's that's a good
0: point so
1: to use a gene simmons reference anyway you slice it <laughs> um <laughs> i i will continue to inappropriately bring up van halen and many many interviews to come you know what i asked Oh, this is another one I didn't bring up. Um, I interviewed Young MC, the <laughs> rapper behind Bust the Move and Right, Right. And he co-wrote uh two or three of Tone Loke's huge hits, Funky Cold Medina, and uh, Wild Thing, and Wild Thing samples. Um, James Jamie, crying. Jamie's crying. The drum riff, yeah. exactly, and the guitar squeal. And that's right. So I figured there was that. And then Funky Cold Medina samples uh, Christine 16 by Kiss. So I have it in the back of my head of were Tone Loke and Young MC big classic rock fans or were this, you know, were the producers just nerdy guys? It turns out producers were nerdy guys. It was the Dust Brothers before they made it who did that. Oh, right. They sampled without permission. Uh, it was a later worked-out settlement thing. But Young MC, not a fan, per se, of Van Halen and Kiss. However, a huge fan of the band Goldfinger and a huge
0: fan of Faith No More. Really? Yeah. And you dig a little bit? That's that's an interesting record collection, sounds like he's got. Yeah. Uh, I,
1: I guess you never know. Um, uh, well... Hey, I always have you in the back of my mind. I say, when I'm going to interview this, what would Steve want to know and or the Van Halen listeners want to know? So, <laughs> so okay. hey, if, if if there's any people that you have an itching, burning Van Halen question to ask, send it to me. If there's an <laughs> MMA fighter, you find out, oh, there was this L- MMA fighter for Bellator. I asked her what she like liked to work out to musically, and she mentioned Just a Gigolo was one of the songs she trained to. So... If you ever find out a
0: name that's a fan,
1: all right, please send yeah. it my way. Uh,
0: Dave and Van Halen are everywhere. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's the underlying thing. But hey, part two of Frank. Yeah. Again, as I said up top, it gets a little off, off course from Diamond Dave, but we do get up to the 2006 press conference. Was that in 06 or 07?
0: The reunion, that was 07.
1: But the press conference was in 07 as well?
0: Pretty sure, yeah. Unless it was in the fall. God, I was just watching that a couple, about a month or two ago. It was either late 06 or early 07. Cause they, yeah, I mean, I think that tour started, was it in the spring or in the early summer or something like that? I've, I'd seen, remembered being in, I think I saw them, I think I saw that show in the springtime. So of 07.
1: We get to that. I think part two has Frank talking about the book that he and Dave almost wrote together which it's not dead, but I have I have a feeling after this uh, interview, part one and part two, the book is dead because <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling, but I hope not. But it's a super interesting book if it does ever get made. And it sounds like they're really far ahead in uh, pitching it to publishers and having a, a
0: proper pitch. Wow, so, that's going to be interesting. So ultimately, it's interesting two, now.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's a cool sounding book. But ultimately, I think a lot of people, when they talk about hanging with a musician, maybe it was over the period of three months. In this case, we're getting Frank stories from 95 and 07 and everything in between. And plus, I think in part two, we also hear about the infamous Eddie Van Halen adult video release house party.
0: Oh, that. Yeah, that's. That's a bit infamous, right? Because wasn't his wife like a publicist? For what was her involvement? Because he yeah. didn't do a soundtrack for a porn movie or something? Oh, this was the
1: unfortunately discovery from last weekend. He made two music videos for this
0: soundtrack. Who did? Frank? Eddie. Oh, Eddie. What? Yeah. No, They're- not those. Come on. This isn't. Wait, this isn't public knowledge. Hold, Wait, I don't even want to go there.
1: Oh, it's not cut with scenes from the movie or anything. One of them is him solo in the studio, cutting all the instruments and working the board. Oh,
0: thank God. Okay.
1: And then the other one, he's kind of... Looks like he's in his backyard, and there's a couple of women hanging around him. He's kind of soloing. And it's kind of like Van Halen 3-esque music. I, I don't know. Take a look and... Well, maybe the
0: next episode we'll talk about. Are are those up on YouTube?
1: Yeah, that's how I found
0: these things. Okay. wow. Interesting.
1: I don't know if there's a third. I thought he did three songs, this movie, but he definitely did two.
0: And it was he it was somehow there was some involvement with his wife. Right. I mean, we're going down. uh, Yeah. Going off a different avenue here. But I I seem to remember when he hearing about that at the time. And um, I was like, what? I mean, of all the things he could be doing the soundtrack to.
1: Well, he did a couple of Valerie Bertinelli soundtracks. Uh, Didn't he do a TV movie called The Seduction of Gina?
0: God, dude, I man, you're throwing curveballs at me. I don't know. I mean, that was an era where maybe I wasn't paying that much attention. (laughs) I was paying more attention to what Dave was doing. Um, You know, they kind of lost the plot for me, man, after, uh, you know, from about, I'd say Van Halen 3 was what, 98? Yeah. Until about the reunion. I mean, they weren't very active. They would do weird stuff like that that I just didn't really dig and Van Halen 3 is a is I mean that's but, that that's that, a bit of a disjointed mess musically, album wise.
1: movie, I got to cut you off. That TV movie was like 85. 84, 85. He did that around Really? The time that he did the Wildlife
0: well, the wildlife I remember because I remember seeing that movie yeah. and uh, and digging that movie starring the late Chris Penn and Eric Stoltz. Yeah, who Eric Stoltz may have been in just about every movie made in nineteen in between eighty four and eighty five, eighty six. <laughs> yeah, um, only to resurface again in Pulp Fiction, if you uh, and uh, and various other movies. But but no, I distinctly remember the wildlife, and I remember. Uh, yeah, you knew right away the soon. And and of course, the rock magazines, I mean, Circus and Hit Parade and all that back then, which is how you found out about things like he's doing a soundtrack. And then I think before that was the whole Brian May thing from Japan, yeah. Starfleet. Um, Starfleet Academy or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And that was, I remember at the time, we were all like, God, we got to hear that. How do we get this from Japan? Because it was yeah. Brian May and Eddie. So, well, one of the wildlife
1: songs that he scored. Wound up in that Back to the Future scene, which people always thought was an Eddie sound alike, but it was actually a scored thing from The Wildlife. I'm not sure. It's called either like, it's something like Gina's Problem or The Seduction of Gina. It's something like that. And no one talks about that era of Eddie. I don't know why he scored a TV movie other than his wife being in it. But uh, I'm just saying it's not his first direct to video
0: scoring. <laughs> It's the story of a young girl's erotic jersey, uh, journey from Moscow to Minsk. No, wait a minute. That's the wrong movie. That's like completely screwed up my television uh, fake movies there. <laughs> Sorry.
1: Yeah. Well, e- either way, I'm curious to see what you think of these particular songs that he made for this uh movie from 2005 or six or something like that before he came back to the van halen fold.
0: <laughs> i'll have to dig it up or if you can remember to send me the link i'm not i mean what's the search terms i plug in for youtube to for any van halen porn soundtrack i don't know I, I, that could be it i
1: haven't tried it yet <laughs> i'll see if i can save you that dilemma and find that, you the links
0: that'll screw up my youtube algorithm so you kidding? <laughs> Wait until you see the things they suggest after that.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, sorry to poke fun at all that, because, you know, while it's it's sad to see the shape that Eddie was in, then you get an amazing album like A Different Kind of Truth. Yeah. Just a few years later, which showed he rebounded a lot.
0: Oh, of- hugely big time. And he stuck with it. I mean, yeah, yeah. Th- you know, he it, it became, unfortunately, I mean, almost a punchline for a while there. And, and, you know, we all caught so many things people knew they saw it. It was, you know, it was tough. And then, you know, Hagar goes into a lot of the details in his autobiography. That 2004 tour, even before that autobiography came out, I can remember friends going to see that. It's like, oh, man, this is it was just it just didn't look well and they didn't look like they were really enjoying it either. And then you read, you know, that was a really tough tour for all of them to get along. And like Sammy just left and never talked to him again. And I think that was one where they tried to, wasn't that, that was a tour where uh, Sammy had to like say, if Michael doesn't do it, I'm not going to do it.
1: Yeah. He gave up part of his percentage of profits. Azoff or the manager did too, just so Michael could get a little bit. And then Michael had to sign away his permanent use of the Van Halen name, and he was done, and his likeness was gone, and you know.
0: Man, there's there. It's yeah. You you can make a very short list in rock and roll, and not to slag anybody, but you can make a very short list of rock and roll f- for the nicest, coolest, most respectful people in the world who got screwed over the most. And Michael Anthony is top of that list. I don't know why. That's a story for a different time. I mean, you can yeah. remember a couple and and you know we're at a point now where you really can't i shouldn't say you can't say anything listen eddie was human you know i mean the guy yeah. was a guitar god sure and um uh, and his his losses is, is something i'll always mourn you yeah. know but i can remember at the time going and this was not that long ago him saying why would he say he had a tape videotape everything for michael to learn the songs i mean why what's the point of that i mean michael was freaking playing with them in 77. I mean, you yeah. know what I'm saying? That He did the five sets a night with him. He killed himself with, you know, in the clubs way back then. I mean, it, it, just it, a lot of that stuff, that sniping, a lot of that stuff made no sense. I get it. Eddie versus Dave, but Michael, I mean, it's like picking on Switzerland. What, what <laughs> the, you, Why? Yeah. You know what I mean? Uber talented. By all accounts, there's not a single person in the world who would say anything bad about him, save for one legendary lead guitarist. Yeah, And I never understood that. It's That's been a mystery. That's always been a mystery to me. It,
1: the only guy who had the same wife all those years, too. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, just – I mean, have you ever read an interview with him where – I mean, he must be a journalist's dream. I mean, have you ever read an interview where him where he was shitty or he was – you know, he, he didn't like the question or something? And everybody has bad days. I get it. But forever Every- a guy uh, – really, just – it was so unfair.
1: But – Going back to the conversation with Frank, yes, this makes my head hurt a little bit because I think of how much Diamond David Lee Roth gets done in a day or a year, and all the things he's skilled at and he could do. You know, he speaks four or five languages. There's the martial arts, and you know, he's shredded. He's in that amazing shape. If you listen to Joe Rogan, he's following a strict diet. He's traveling the world. He's a man of the world. He's reading three boating magazines a month. (laughs) Wooden boat monthly. (laughs) (laughs) So so you see all that intellect and all that athletic ability and he's done all this cool stuff and he knows everybody. You put all that together and you're going, how is he also able to drink that much while in that good shape, while – does he ha- just like the way that people have cheat days on diets does yeah. he just have
0: <laughs> i <laughs> guess and and from what we know in the 80s it was you know it was not just drinking either it was uh uh half of brazil one up the guys nose i think you know i mean it's uh you know he it, a lot of that stuff was legendary back in the 80s uh the 80s hollywood strip scene you know so i mean that it, yeah he's got the keith Richards gene or something i mean just but maybe you know that's part of it too how do you bounce back so well by keeping your body in such amazing shape and i would and i would bet you he knows when to throttle it back you know i mean you gotta you gotta pace yourself at some point you can't go climbing a mountain when you're completely fucked up
1: (laughs) you know yeah probably not Although you if you ask him, he'll probably tell you stories
0: about trying to do that. Probably. You know, one thing before we get to the (laughs) Frank interview and listening to it, it reminds me, I mean, this is there's a lot of inside stuff there. And that like Van Halen as well, but that Dave Circle. And maybe it's NDAs. Sure, I get it. You're a certain size. You do it. But, you know, that Dave Circle is relatively small as far as the number of musicians that play it on albums. You yeah. know, I mean, has anybody ever interviewed? I don't even has anybody ever interviewed Eddie Anderson, let's say, you know, Pete Angelis has been in some interviews. But as far as the people in that universe, it's a tight little tribe there that have been, you know, some people have been with them for years. And then if they're if, if they if they leave that tribe, it's like. You know they do their thing and and you don't hear too much other than uh, than what you hear from like the likes of Sheehan and Vi who who've given such great stuff as far as their time with Dave. But and same with say like John Five. But I mean for a guy whose career has been that long, there's do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I mean it's it's a there's only a few people that he's going to work with and let in there and and that's for efficiency's sake and I think also for just that quality control that he demands, you know?
1: Yeah, you know the uh, the round of interviews he did about three and a half years ago, where he, it was one of those things where Dave's everywhere and then Dave's nowhere. It right. was one of those. I get in the habit when those happen, where I re I devour the first like four or five of them, and then, yeah. then after that I go, I'm good, I'm good, I don't, I don't need any more. And there was one from Vulture. That
0: I had missed the first time around. I have that. I've got it from like, it was around the reunion tour started.
1: Uh, maybe this is another one because this was like 2017. This this is one of those like, we're going to be playing where the Yankees play. This is that oh
0: okay i think it's i think it's vulture i'll have to dig through it i actually printed it out and i have it folded up in my copy of uh dave's autobiography and i remember it around the time of the like 2007 2008 somewhere around there and i remember distinctly there was some cool pictures of flight cases equipment cases that were like on his patio or whatever you know because he does a lot of those photos are from his house the grounds of pasadena right and uh and I'll have to dig it out. I'm pretty sure it's Vulture, but it's about it's it's really long and in depth. And he really, um, it, it's it's not like you're trying to transgro- transcribe the, the Rogan interview.
1: Well, this one was sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Whenever that we're going to play Yankee Stadium thing was, and okay, this is the first time I ever saw him shut down a question rather than just skating around it. The journalist is asking a second question about the Noel Monk book. And he said something like, let me stop you there. When we do the Van Halen tour, I'll answer these. For now, you know, let's talk about the skin care.
0: OK, yeah. Then I did not see that then, surprisingly. But
1: so the Noel Monk thing, I'm guessing that ruffled some feathers. The fact that he shut that one down. I saw that Michael Anthony interview with Jeremy. What's his name? The guy in. Montreal great
0: yeah great. I for, yeah good interview uh YouTube thing he's got yeah I saw that too that was good I can't remember that now I'm spacing on the guy's name but yeah it's Jeremy yeah La- so he was
1: asked about the Noel Monk book which I still at, admittedly have to finish but what I'm getting at is Noel Monk might be the first person to get that full side of the story out about Van Halen besides Dave
0: yeah i mean when you get into monk's book it's there's some pretty detailed stuff there wait till you read all about valerie's wedding and and everything there um well if you remember when that book came out dave had one quote basically it was kind of i can't remember it was somewhere along the like there's a lot of things that are true there's a lot of things that aren't true and then there's a lot of things that are true you know what i mean it was some little <laughs> wordplay basically he wasn't disavowing it you know what i mean but that was his one quote on the book do you remember does that ring a bell at all it was it was uh he wasn't disavowing or denying it and he wasn't necessarily condoning or condemning it either. You
1: know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the I think it'll be interesting to see in the future which tell alls do come out because sometimes NDAs have time limits on them or terms that if this is violated, then the NDA is no longer valid. All bets so are off. Yeah. If, well, if you don't pop, properly compensate the person. They can argue, well, it has to be something in value. Uh, of value in exchange otherwise it invalidates so i don't know stay tuned for dave tv
0: well you got me you got my interest certainly peaked with this part two of the frank meyer video if there's going to be a frank meyer interview if there's going to be a book but and that also reminds me and we speculated this too that there's there should be plenty of material to to do crazy from the heat volume two yeah i mean that came out now what 20 years ago i mean more. it's uh, more so god just getting all the inside scoop on whatever he was doing before all the stuff the emt stuff before i mean he touched on some of it but get, go a little bit deeper get into the artwork and of course get into the reunion stuff too so
1: fingers crossed that we get something from diamond dave even if it's about people stalking him but hopefully not us stalking him
0: Uh, We are not stalkers. We're not fanboys. (laughs) We're morons, but we're not assholes. So let's just, you know, (laughs) let's just clarify that. (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, hey, thank you to our listeners for the Frank Meyer suggestion, the crazy from the heat screenplay. You guys make this all so much fun to do, as does Steve, who talks me off the ledge from getting overly conspiracy theory-esque you you're you're the straight man in this equation here
0: well i thank you sir i sometimes i wonder if i doth protest or talk too much so but i just realized this may be the third consecutive episode where we did not dig deep into sunrises sylvain i make such
1: an effort to not (laughs) reference that uh because i do enough that in my off time so what can you do
0: yeah, you'll, you'll tell me before we hit the hit record, hey, I just bought a fifth copy of it on eBay. This one from El Salvador. Or
1: I almost bought a fourth skyscraper last night on vinyl. I had to hit a credit card spend thing to get a bonus. I was looking around discogs and going, what Diamond Dave thing don't I have? And there was some soundtrack he was on in the mid-80s called like Down and Out in Beverly Hills. And it had California girls on it. It's like, well, I don't need that. And then it had a bunch of songs that uh, Andy Summers from The Police composed. And his composition work for movies is not the best. <laughs> I said, I'm never going to listen to this. And this is not super rare. I better get the final countdown by Europe on vinyl instead. So there you go. But, but let me ask you this. Before, my last thing. Uh, a Little Ain't Enough on vinyl. Did they never repress that?
0: I do not have that on vinyl. That was at a time where I just stopped buying vinyl. I'm like, I got the cassette and the CD. I would buy both. Yeah. But I don't know why I didn't. Buy. I, I think at the time, there weren't a lot of vinyl places where I lived, maybe. But I think I don't think that was ever repressed.
1: Because I saw like a couple of $200-esque prices on Discogs.com. I was wondering, it's just because it was a limited run or just a UK thing. Because kind of like how we learned, there was that UK EP that... <laughs> Right. You yeah, didn't know about here.
0: Ron Wixso. yeah, that interview from a few episodes back. Sure.
1: Yeah. So uh, and then also one or two of the the 45s that picked up came out of the UK as well for Diamond Dave. So I don't know. Well, Maybe well UK only thing. I only think.
0: I can remember getting Kerrang! Magazine bi-weekly at the time and in the late – through the late 80s, early 90s, and there was always the the adverts as they would call them. Yeah. And I remember distinctly – I don't remember the details, on, but I remember that the cover of a little ain't enough, and it was an advertising for like a Gatefold single, or it was something we did not get in the US, okay. and that was commonplace, just like Jap- Japan gets an extra track or two on so many records. But they would always do back then, like I remember Gatefold always stuck in my head, and it was like this is a you know a, an EP or a single in advance of the record, and it didn't always have an additional track or two, but the packaging was super cool, or it was a single and maybe like two other songs on the record instead of just one. You know, a, a two side just instead of two songs on a single, it was always. But the packaging was really cool, and I wish I, man, I wish I got that stuff on import back when.
1: So I, if I hear you correctly, we're starting a petition to get a little ain't enough released on vinyl.
0: There you go. That would be cool. Okay. Remix, remaster, whatever they got to do with it. I don't know. I still like the way that record sounds. Bob Rock got some good sounds out of that record. So. Amen. I was I I was just listening to uh Hammerhead Shark the other day on Spotify actually. It just popped in my head and you know.
1: By the way, not a lot of bass on that album.
0: Um no i mean it's in there but it's there it's not necessarily kicking ass like a uh billy sheehan does you do hear it on a good number of songs i mean matt business lays back he's in the pocket with his brother on that but i i really hear it and we brought this up actually on our episode of the most uh the overlooked underrated dave songs with eric from van halen news desk and that's dropping a bucket the last song on that album because he matt puts down a groove on that through the last like two and a half minutes when it goes into this instrumental breakdown and it it just that drives the song that always made it for me so
1: i was just saying not a lot of bass because maybe bob rock wanted to play bass on it uh instead like metallica
0: style matt's credited on it so i'm assuming <laughs> no, he, who
1: knows he did matt's th- matt's great matt's great and how many people can play uh bottom line like he can in
0: concert so. right he no. pulled it off. Yeah. So, all right. Part two of the Frank Meyer interview, coming up. Coming up. Thank you all. And let us know
1: what
2: we're missing and who we should be talking to. <laughs> Take care. So we watch him do the press conference. And again, you can watch this too. Uh, afterwards, he takes you know, questions from the audience. And he goes like, and now, uh, my esteemed journalist, does anyone... And everyone just raised their hand. I, I don't even remember if I raised my hand or not. I feel like I didn't, but maybe I did. But um, he, Frank Meyer in the third row, he immediately calls on me, which I'm sure he knew because I'd softball him. You know, he's like, my guy will ask me a good, which of course I did. I was like, uh, what sort of, I had no question ready, but I was just like, uh, what sort of set can the fans expect from this reunion? And he's just like, well, only the greatest rock and roll set list. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I just, yeah. You know, I, just, I threw him a softball. He knocked it right out of the park. That, so then, that, that was the era of, like, he would go... Um,
1: he said this in my interview with him in 'O three. It's like, I got more hits than The Sopranos,
2: homeboy. That right. was that era of that's exactly That's exactly <laughs> right. And right around the time that he did his appearance on The Sopranos. Yeah. So then um, then a few years... No, then a few months after that, they did a rehearsal at the Forum. And uh, oh. my, my brother is an actor he's breckenmeyer uh i
1: I did not know uh, that uh, yeah
2: well of all the players
1: in the world (laughs) i didn't know that but 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 i need to pause uh, because you you would know this okay i've heard the rumor that before every van halen tour there was a friends and family rehearsal show at the forum you're saying that is true
2: uh well they weren't all at the forum but they used to do them and there's a few bootlegs of them from the Diver Down era and, and I think even earlier doing rehearsals for people so I think that's just something they did there was definitely one or maybe two maybe meaning maybe for the next tour there might have been another form one but the other one was at the was it was either at CBS studios or Henson studios or something there was a there was yes. one that I Yes. There was one I didn't go to, and it was when Dave was starting to use the wireless mic, which didn't last very long. Yes. Um, but, and the, meaning, not one that I didn't go to, but there was that one, which I know about and didn't attend. Um, and then there was the one I went to. It's possible there was more, but yes, essentially the answer to the question is yes. Um, so I went, and it was the entire forum, but the, it was empty, other than, you know, maybe 200 people on the front, most of whom were famous guitar players or family members. Right. So it was like George Lynch is over here, and you know, I went. I went with my brother and Tom Morello, and um, and we showed up, and there was just you know guitar players aplenty, and uh, they played the whole set, and it was incredible. And that was the first time that Eddie and Dave walked out on a stage together, uh, before since you know the 84 tour because that uh that w- rehearsal was on a stage I mean it wasn't for the public but that was the first time they walked out on stage and embraced and did the set funny story about that is that Zach Wilde was there and he was super wasted and he, between songs he got up and starts yelling like Ed, Eddie and Eddie kind of sees him from you know he's tuning up like, yeah hey, Zach what's up Dave just sees a big lumbering drunk guy yelling at Eddie and has no idea who Zach is clearly because he just goes, Hey man, get the fuck off the stage. And, you know, does it sort of comedically. And fucking Zach starts to climb up on the stage like he's gonna get up and give Eddie a hug. And Dave walks over dead and goes, I said, get the fuck off my stage and security and call security and Zach Wilde is removed. (laughs) I don't know if he was removed from the building, but he was definitely removed from my eyesight and the stage and anywhere near there. It was amazing. And then, uh, so I did that. And then I think, I'm trying to think, I think the last Dave related thing, maybe that was, maybe that was the last. Oh no, the the other time, the last time I saw him was, I was there when they did the Eat and Smile reunion show that didn't happen because the fire marshal came. But I was, st- I hap- again, me and Lindsay Parker, cause she's like, you know, that's my ride or die. That's my, you know, she's my partner in crime, my friend for life. Um, she heard about it and was like, we're going, right? I'm like, yes, we are. And she pulled her journalist strings and got us in. And as I was standing outside waiting for Lindsay, Dave's limo pulled up and he got up and a bunch of reporters and stuff sworn to him. And I just sort of didn't want to bother him, but he walked by and he looked at me and he goes, Mr. Meyer. And then he just kept walking and I was just like, fuck, that, he does have a good memory, I'll tell you that. Uh, whatever you think about him, y'all, every time. Um, and But that was it. And then Lindsay and I go inside and we were in the front row sitting down where between, our feet touched the stage. There was the lip of the stage. There was the curtain. So we were sitting there, meaning the second the show would have started, because we were all waiting for so long, everyone started sitting down that was that close. But we would have just, everyone would have just stood up. But like, we saw the feet of all four band members, including Dave, walk out. We saw them checking instruments and tuning. Then we saw a bunch of guys in firemen's boots walk out. Then everyone left the stage, then the house lights went up, and the show was over. Wow. I don't
1: think anyone really has talked about that part of it, that it was actually about to happen. People it was the story seconds,
2: of... it was seconds away from happening. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, but... I'm telling you, they were on stage, tuning up, ready to go, when the fire marshal walked out on stage and was like, Probably rattled off a bunch of violations, and someone was like, uh, "Let's not discuss this on stage." And they probably, you know, with mics and stuff, probably went and uh, had a conversation backstage, and that was the end of the show.
1: It makes yeah. you think that fire marshal was not a
2: Van Halen fan. You, you know, who knows? Like I said, he I, loved I, Van Halen three and right, that. right. Hey, you know, <laughs> uh, one one thing I've learned is as a Van Halen fan is is you know, I mean, Dave. The Dave eras are my favorite in terms of that sound they have with Dave, which is a harder edge sound Mm -hmm. than they have with Sammy, just appeals more to my music sensibilities. I just listen more to that kind of music. The stuff they did with Sammy is much more commercial, almost like Foreigner or something. It's good. It's slick. Uh, I appreciate the musicianship. And I think Sammy's a great and probably even more consistently strong vocalist than Dave. But the music that Sammy often makes, not always, because I like a lot of Sammy Hagar records and I love Montrose, but he often makes very commercial, slick, sort of radio-friendly bar rock. And that just doesn't appeal to me as much as like the sort of hyper boogie that Van Halen does or the bluesy vibe or the sort of fun that that Van Halen always seemed to have with Dave that for me was lacking in the other stuff. But as an Eddie fan, as time goes on, I'm just like, man, whatever, dude. I love Eddie Van Halen. I'll listen to anything. If Eddie thought the guy was worth being in the band then i'm cool with it i like gary sharon too you know what i mean like i wasn't i'm not an extreme fan i don't even particularly like van halen three but eddie chose gary to be the front man so i like him <laughs> you know what i mean there's a there's a great unreleased uh home video of i've van seen van him van. and it's killer it's great yeah it's killer and he sings those old songs spot on so that's what I'm saying. Like as time's gone on, you know, I love the Brian May Starfleet record. I like the wildlife soundtrack. I like I like Eddie's entire canon of work, you know what I mean? Uh, it, like I said, the bluesy rock stuff, you know, the only time I've ever covered Van Halen in my life is a cover of in a simple rhyme, which a is the oh. first A is a, the first original. I think that they ever wrote together. It's certainly the earliest original that appears on demos, as far as I know, because it's on the super, super early, like four-track Pasadena demos. Um, but it's also, you know, it's very. I mean, it's 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 a Who sounding rocker, but it's a rocker that has all the mechanisms that make Grant Van Halen great. It's hard, it's heavy, it's got a great riff, but it's got these super slick harmonies and a big old, awesome sort of vocal thing in the middle with gentle parts, and then it slams you back in the head. Yeah. So it's like, you know, when left to my own devices, I'm going to go for that bluesy or hard rock stuff because that's the music I like, you know. Well, you've been so generous with your time. There's one more
1: thing I want to ask sure. you about before you're a free man. This could be a 20-second answer, or this could be a 20-minute answer. I don't know what right. one it is. But one of your current projects is with one of my favorite songwriters, Eddie Spaghetti of the Super Suckers. Mm-hmm. And when I was a teenager, I'm dating myself here, I bought uh, an... Um, Issue of Magnet magazine, which was a yeah, cool. I remember it. Yeah, and one of the things they used to do was have musicians interview other musicians. Yeah, I yep. remember there was an Eddie Spaghetti interviews Eddie Van Halen article in there. I don't remember that. Okay, if you don't remember that, then wow, you're in towards. No, topic. I
2: mean I'm not meaning, meaning I, I've never I've had a million conversations with Eddie and Spaghetti. And we've talked van halen a million times i don't recall ever hearing that story which is to say i'll be texting him immediately after this to uh, get an answer for you on that uh but no that's incredible i had no idea
1: that's amazing i think this would have been 98 99 i remember super drag was in the issue and that's why i bought that right. People magazine there wasn't a lot of interviews on super drag at the time i'm pretty sure it was eddie Talking to Eddie Van Halen backstage somewhere in the Van Halen Three era, and out of note, like he has a guitar in his hand, and he just starts busting the Spanish Fly. That that might help ring a bell for Mr. Oh, Spaghetti. I
2: mean, if 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 Eddie interviewed Eddie, I guarantee you he remembers it, and it's just a, a cruel twist of fate that I haven't heard that story before. Um, yeah, I haven't heard that. Uh, y- you're right, Eddie and I our Eddie Spaghetti and I are doing a record together. We actually did it, it's called Motherfucking Rock and Roll and it comes out in September, I believe. And uh, it's exactly what you would think that Eddie and Spaghetti and, you know, or the super suckers and the street walking cheetahs if you combine those sounds. It's, it's ass kicking hard rock, it's got some country stuff. Um, it's also got some kind of poppy, poppier stuff. We do a cover of my Sharona with the lead guitar player from the Knack, Burton on lead guitar, and we do a cover of "Heartache" by Kicks with Brian Damage Foresight on guitar, because uh, we're both big fans of both those bands. And then we wrote a bunch of songs together. Eddie Spaghetti and I go back to the mid '90s uh, when the Cheetahs first started touring. We often toured, got paired up with the Supersuckers or Nashville Pussy. Or Reverend Horton Heat; those were bands that we seemed to get a lot of tours with. So Eddie and I are both kind of music nerds, and uh, we would just talk music stuff, you know, forever for years before we ever actually started like making music together, writing and stuff. Um, but he's also a big Van Halen fan, mainly of you know the Dave stuff. I, can, I think I could say what to say. He, he <laughs> calls the
1: the the uh, that George H.W. Bush Gary Sharon to the presidency. That was an Eddie Spaghetti. Right.
2: Right. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, but yeah, I'll have to ask him about that. Um, I'll tell you, just because I know you want to hear all the Van Halen stuff I've got, there's one other little thing I can oh, sure. Uh, sure. tell you. Not about Dave, though. This is another avenue. So for one thing, I was there at the Eddie Van Halen um, backyard party, the sort of the porno party. You know about that whole thing? Oh, that Michael Nin. Michael thing. Michael Nin. So what it was is yeah. that Michael Nin was a European pornographer, but he did these very artsy ones, and you know they weren't like, like gra- super graphic. They maybe had sex in them, but they were much more like European and artsy and stuff. And, and uh, they were on a company called Digital Playground. And the woman that Eddie went on to marry, Janie, yeah. was a pub- was a publicist, and she did publicity for all sorts of stuff. But one of her clients was Digital Playground, and she worked with Digital Playground. And so she, I believe, did the press on that project and on and then they they sort of kicked off the record re- or the uh, release of the film, which I think came with like a CD of the songs and stuff. And um, they had a party in Eddie's backyard. And because I knew Janie and a couple other people sort of in that business, um, I got invited to the party. And so me and Dino from the Streetwalk and Cheetahs, we parked our car in Valley College, because that's where you were told to meet, and they took a tram up to the party. And we were told the whole time, do not take pictures, do not bring your cameras, Eddie might not even be around. If you see him, don't talk to him, don't bother him. So we're okay. And of course, again, trying to stay in my lane. I'm like, cool, well, I'll just leave my phone here. I have no reason to bring any of that. Luckily, another guy I know, this drummer named Scotty Slam ignored all of that. And so we get there and me and Dino and Scotty walk in, the doors open and there's Eddie Van Halen in jeans, no shirt, holding Frankenstein, greeting people going, hey man, what's up? Welcome to my house, you want to take a picture? And I was like, what? And I thought, I can't believe I didn't bring my camera. And I, Dino, and Dino's like, nope. And then Scotty Slam's like, I got you, boys. And he had his camera and took a picture of the two of us. So I do have a picture of me and Eddie and Dino from that. And we saw the whole party. There was naked chick. It wasn't like, it wasn't like sex. I mean, there might have been upstairs. But yeah. it was just more like topless <laughs> dancers and burlesque performers. You know, it was like a wild party, but not like anything over the top. Um, and, but it, it, was, it was at Eddie Van Halen's house. So yes, it was over the top. And then he performed an entire set with the house band and uh, did all Van Halen songs and Rebel Yell and um, was absolutely blistering. I mean, in it was sort of a bad time in Eddie's career because he was yeah. way drugged out at that point. And he doesn't look that great at that point. But I gotta tell you, the show was amazing. and He ripped on guitar. I don't care what anyone says. I was standing there, it was, it was face melting. And I heard a rumor that John Karabi was in that band that was playing in Eddie's house. He was. He had short hair at the time, so I it, it, I don't even think I recognized him until like the last song. I'm like, is that Karabi? And there was another dude I knew. I, the bass player was this guy who played in a band called the Comatones, and, um, and he was married to a porn star. I can't remember his name at the time, but I knew him through the through the Comatones. And I think that the singer was um, ah, the singer is someone that went I, the singer. I mean, I want to say it was Miles Kennedy, but it might not have been, but it was someone along those lines, like someone that went on to be a, a known singer in a more modern band. You can look it up. I'm sure it's, you know, I know there's videos and stuff, but the singer I think was someone famous too, um, or went on to be. Um, they were the house band at the time at a, a club that, shoot, the name's escaping me, but they were the house band and basically just got the gig as the back end of band. Um, but I also grew up with Dweezel Zappa and all the Zappas, so I met Eddie a few times uh, in the 80s, around the time of um, when Sammy first joined the band. He and Dweezel were good friends. Dweezil, uh had made a single called My Mother's a Space Cadet when he was yes. 12 years old, and Eddie not only produced it with Frank, but plays guitar on the int- like that intro riff of My Mother's a Space Cadet is Eddie, not, not Dweezel, FYI. Uh, Dweezil plays all the leads and everything, but some of that, that that whole riff with the tapping and stuff, that's Eddie. Um, so that came out and I met Dweezil about a year after that, but I had known his brother Amit and his sister Moon for years. We all went to grade school together and summer camp together. So I'd grown up with them. Okay. Okay. So you knew them through that CBS
1: sitcom where there was an episode where the premise was that Dweezil's trying to meet Eddie.
2: I knew them, dude. I knew Amit when he was four years old. I knew Moon. I met Moon. I think when I met it, her Moon had just been on Valley Girl, so that was eighty-one. On solid gold,
1: yeah. Right,
2: but Moon is about three years older than me, and I'm about three years older than Amit. So if that was eighty-one, then I would have been about eight-ish, and Amit would have been about four. So that's how, and then Dweezel would have been if I was eight, nine. So, cause he's a year and a half older than me, but I didn't meet Dweezel yet. I, I knew Amin and Moon when I was little kids. And then one day a mutual friend, uh, I was riding bikes with him and he's like, want to go over to my friend Amin's house? And I'm like, oh, I know that kid from school. And we went over there and Dweezel was there. And at this point I was, a, it was, I was maybe like 11 when I was a Van Halen freak. And I knew that. I think I'd even heard my mother's a space cadet uh, and I knew that Dweezil knew Eddie and that Dweezil was supposed to be this bitching guitar player. I also was going to junior high by coincidence at a a school called Oakwood where all of the Zappas also went. Meaning we all went to grade school at this place called the country school and then we all went to Oakwood but we were all different ages a little bit. And My brother and Amit were in the same grade but Dweezil was a grade above me and Moon was like three grades above me. Uh, and Diva was uh, still a baby at this point. Um, so because I was just younger than Dweezil, when I started Oakwood, I was aware that Dweezil had gone there, but he had already left and taken the GED and split. And the year before I started was, I don't know if you've heard this story, but Dweezil played at the talent show and Eddie Van Halen showed up at the sound check rehearsal of the talent show and brought Dweezil a guitar in front of all of his friends. And Eddie Van Halen showed up, this would have been Diver Down era to our school, but a year before I went there and gave fucking Dweezil a guitar. uh, And I say that because every kid in the world at that point would have just been like, ah, it's my dream. Eddie Van Halen shows up to your school and gives you a guitar he made. So that, but that's what, and I don't, I want to say and maybe I'm fuzzy I think that he even jammed with them at the rehearsal but I don't think he did at the talent show but I think he might have even jumped on stage and like played some a little bit with Dweezil at the rehearsal in some capacity. Anyway, so I go to the school the next year I hear this story then I get taken over to Amit's house and there's Dweezil. And so, you know, I mean because I we were all kids and and because he was, you know, I known as family member so long it wasn't like a big leap to be like hey dude what's going on i heard you're a good guitar player i heard you know eddie van halen he's like yeah man you play guitar and i'm like yeah and he grabs a guitar and hands it to me he goes let me see and at that point i could really just sort of play like chuck berry steve jones from the sex pistols sort of like you know so that's what i did and uh and dweezil uh was like "Eh, all right cool and he takes it and he played something insanely shredding. And I'm like, whoa. I go, can you play Van Halen stuff? And he goes, yeah, pretty much any song. And I just start naming shit. I go, can you play the intro to hang him high? Cause I thought that was like the most insane shit ever. And he's just like, don't down and down and down and You can't play eruption, can you? Caps it out at, just, at 12 years old, Dweezil was already better than I currently am at 50 years old at guitar. I mean, he was so fucking gifted. It was, if you ever thought about talent being passed through the bloodline, you know, like there's no doubt because Dweezel had never taken a lesson, had only been taught a little bit from Frank directly because Frank didn't really interact that way with the kids. He wouldn't sit down or give right. long car our lessons. Um, he just kind of picked it up and he told me the first day he ever picked it up he figured out the tapping part of Eruption. Think about that, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Without being taught,
1: kind of like Wolfie where You listen to him play every instrument and go, "Um, I think it might be in the DNA here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, so Dweezel and I instantly become best friends because Ahmet was a couple of years younger than me. And don't get me wrong, Ahmet and I have, I mean, I'd work with Ahmet right now. He's one of my best buddies I've mm-hmm. known in my whole life. But at this point, he was a few years younger than me, and him and my brother were in the same grade. So they were pals. So I knew Ahmet, but like all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, this guy's like my age. So I'll hang out with the guitar player guy that's my age, whereas you will hang out with his brother who's your age. And, you well, know, what was so, Ahmet was- Rick
1: in this era? I heard a rumor that he changed his name to Rick growing up.
2: I, you know, it's funny. I just did. He and I were guests on a podcast two nights ago, and that question got asked. And again, I had not. I had not heard that story. Uh, And no, it would not have been the Rick era, or at least not. That I was—I mean, I've known Amit probably since before yes. that era, but I was not aware that he tried to change his name to Rick. He told the story the other night; it was, it's very entertaining. I, I thought I had an exclusive right there. Okay, next. yeah, no, it—it <laughs> uh, it probably was around this time. Like I said, I just don't have any—I don't remember him calling himself Rick, but that's that's very Amit thing to do. I can tell you that. And the—and—and and the great thing is that apparently Gale and Frank, like they—they they were like, "All right, then we're going to call you that for a month, and you can't take it back for a month." And he was like, "Yeah," and within two days, all of his friends were like, hey, Rick the dick. And he was like, oh, I don't want this name. I didn't really think this through. And when he went back to his parents and was like, can you stop calling me Rick? They're like, well, Rick, we agreed on a month. So Rick, and they, they stuck to it. So by the time he got through that month, he did not want to be Rick, you know? They were, you know, they had, Zappas were, were very progressive parents. And uh, there was a lot of fun things about hanging out at their house as a kid. Um, but I did get to hang out there a lot. I got to, I got to actually sit in a guitar circle passing around. Have you ever seen Tweezle's Madonna guitar? The True I Blue have. cover? No, I haven't seen that. It's a Charvel Jackson uh, painted like the cover of Madonna's True Blue. And I was there when it got shipped to the Utility Muffin Research Kitchen, which was Frank's the Frank's studio. studio, and yeah. he opened it. And Frank was there and Steve Vai was there. Ooh, I got a good, another good, I got a good Dave story, I didn't tell you. Um, Steve I was there, Frank, me and Dweezel, and we all passed around the guitar and everyone played licks on it, plugged in and everything. And of course, you know, Dweezel played some insane shit. Steve I played some insane shit. Frank played some insane shit. And I went, <coughs> You went GCD. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just I did my one little <laughs> Sex Pistols lick, which really is just a Chuck Berry lick. Yeah. Um, but Dweezel took it upon himself to get me a better on guitar. So he taught me and he would actually hand write out charts and tabs. I still have it all. He handwrote wrote a whole like, beginner's guide to playing guitar that he hand wrote for me and gave me and that was my bible for a long time. Quick Vi story so one day Dweezil calls me up because we live down the street from each other and he says hey are you home I'm coming to pick you up and I said okay he came down my driveway to pick, pick me up I was living in my parents house and Steve Vi is sitting in the passenger seat at this point Steve had played in Frank's band And I had met Steve because he hung around the house a lot, but also he had played in Alcatraz. Alcatraz, yeah. And um, placing yeah. Right, so, man. Sorry. I know this is going to be way too long with podcast. You're going to cut out whatever you want. We'll, fi-
1: we'll figure that all out later. But when I interviewed Ingve last week, I asked him about Alcatraz.
2: So you're not fearing too off course here. Well, so <laughs> don't let me lose my train of thought. But so the first time I saw Steve Vai was on the Flexible Tour uh-huh. and uh, Dweezil played with him at the Country Club in Reseda and asked me if I wanted to come join him. Uh, but he was going early and I needed a ride. So I asked my friend and his mom and they had taken me to see Motley Crue on the Shout at the Devil tour. So I knew they were cool. And I said, will you guys come with me? Cause my parents didn't want to go to see Steve Vai. And we did, and it was great. And uh, Dweezil came out. I think they played attitude song together but there was an opening band that was called Rapid Fire and they had a red-haired singer, and I remember specifically that they were great, and the singer was great, and that they had a song. It stuck with me my entire life. That went. It was called "Rumble," and it said like, "Where do you want to go?" rumble. Twenty, well, fifteen years later, and I and I went up to the singer, this unknown kid, and was like, "You're great, man. Can I get your autograph?" And he's like, "Why would you?" There was like fifteen people there when they played. He's like, "Why would you want my autograph?" I'm like, you're great." It was the first time I'd seen like a local band that wasn't like my parents taking me to see, you know, a big concert. So that singer turned out to be Axl Rose and uh, rapid fire is the very first group he joined before Hollywood Rose, right straight off the bus from Indiana. And the only reason I found that out later I was the editor of knac.com for a while. And I was sent a press release from, Cleopatra who were releasing all the rapid fire demos yes. and, and I, and I read that and I was like, wait, that can't be the same band. Do they have a song called song one rumble parentheses? Where do you want to go? I'm like, Whoa. And I realized the very first local performer I ever saw was a young Axl Rose. So the second time I met Steve Vai was at Alcatraz played at the country club with rough cut opening, or it might've been the other way around and Dweezil was good friends with the mirror de rock from Rough Cut, who later was in Orgy. Orgy so Dweezel yeah. and me and Moon went and saw um, that show. And I remember we went backstage and uh, met Steve. Cause Steve was a family friend of theirs cause he had played with Frank's band. So they all knew Steve like really, really well. So then Dweezel calls me up one day and says, Hey, you want to come over to my, or I'm coming to pick you up. And he rolls over to my house and Steve buys in the passenger seat. <clears throat> and we get in the car and he goes, Hey, Frank, you remember Steve, Steve, Frank? Hey, what's up, man? Uh, Steve's playing me his new record with David Lee Roth. And I'm like, and we knew that they were, the rumor was they were playing together. This is six months probably before Eat and Smile came out. So these were rough mixes. And he pops in Tobacco Road, first song. And I, I mean, I, there no one knew what Dave was gonna come out sounding like. Dave and Steve Vai, Billy Sheehan. The first thing I heard was a rough mix of Tobacco Rose blew my fucking brains out. Then by the time we got home, we sat there and listened to uh, the song Yankee Rose. And again, this is way before it came out. There was no, the only thing he'd done outside of Van Halen was the California girls thing, which did not sound like this. So I got to hang out that day and hear the rough mixes of the record. Um, and. Hang out with Vi a little bit and stuff, and and that was pretty insane. But throughout that time, I got I met Eddie a few times. Uh, I, I was at the um, after party for the fifty one fifty tour at the Forum at the Hard Rock Cafe. Me and Dweezil went with that, and met Eddie at that, and got to meet everyone in the whole thing. So that was, he, wow. Dweezil like he would go to all these things, and he kind of liked having a partner in crime. And I think he liked having a partner in crime that wasn't necessarily famous. You know what I mean? Because a, I think it, it was sort of kept Weasel grounded, just having like some non-famous friends and you know what I yeah. mean? Like not having everyone around him be sort of the center of attention. I also think he probably liked being the center of attention. So it was, you know, I, I never deflected from any of his shine and I was a good hang because like I was, could knew when to keep my fucking mouth shut, uh, but also would, you know, knew who these people were. And if we got a party with Stephen Piercy one night, I was like stoked, you know? Um. So there was a lot of- You queuing. were the Ed McMahon of the Zappa family. Yeah, I even got a party with Sam Kinnison one night. Uh, thanks, to, thanks to Dweezil, except that Dweezil didn't do drugs or drink and I did and clearly Sam did. And Dweezil was always, like, I wouldn't get high or do anything in front of the Zappas. And I wasn't like a big druggie. I'm just saying I was a normal teenager where I might have a beer or like if someone was passing around a joint about, oh yeah, sure, what the fuck dude, you know? Um, they weren't like that. And so if I was around them, I just wasn't like that either. Even if someone passed me a joint in front of Dweezil, I wouldn't take it just out of respect. You know, I didn't, like I said, know your lane. Yeah. But, but we went to the name. Sorry. Uh, one year, me and him and the Nelson brothers and Amir De Rock piled into a limo and went to the Nam show. Uh, the Nelson brothers taught me how to put, uh, Cover up, like to cover your pimples up, at, at before we left, and um, somehow Dweezil and I left the name show early to go to a sound check for this uh, the All Star Jam later that night. Yeah. And it was in some theater in, that was in the round. I don't remember what the name of it was, but it was like a you know theater with a round stage in Orange County. And so Dweezil and I go early, and he's on stage with like Steve Stevens and TK Stevens and I. Who the fuck? The guy from the- Stevens, the bass player. Yeah, I, I want to say I remember TM Stevens and maybe someone from the Letterman band. I think Steve Stevens was there. This is just the, was going to be the house band for this one jam. You know, later on there was a zillion rock stars on stage, off stage, whatever. Yeah. But um, I go and they're just all on stage, and I'm sitting in this empty theater by myself. And all of a sudden, Sam Kinison and both twins. And Carl LeBeau and his brother, like the whole crew, roll up and are now surrounding me and I've got my back to them. And I kind of look and I'm like, holy shit, at Sam Kinison. And he leans forward and taps me on the shoulder. He goes, hey kid, what are you doing here? And I go, oh, I'm friends with Dweezil, I'm Frank. And he goes, oh shit, Frank, any friend of Dweezil's a friend of mine. Me and the guys are gonna go backstage and party, you in? And I'm like, yeah. So. He's also holding what I assumed at first was a giant cup of water, but then when he got in my face, I realized it was vodka, because he just reeked of vodka. So, Sweezel's on stage, so I didn't tell him anything. I just walk with Sam backstage, and he closes the door, locks it, and they just start busting out joints and cocaine. He, he called them Twisters. Carl, roll me some Twisters. And he just hands him a big bag of weed and rolling <laughs> paper. There's just like drugs going on everywhere. And I'm maybe 16. Yeah, In, And I'm just like, fuck, yeah, you know, and I'm partying with Sam and he's holding court. Three hours go by. It felt like it was 15 minutes. Dweezel has no idea where I am. He's been searching for me this whole time. This is pre-cell phone. So he was just like, fuck, I guess Meyer just split. Um, I, and I also did not realize until this knock on the door... Hey, Sam, you're on in five minutes. And I look and I go, you're on. He goes, I'm hosting this thing. And I'm like, oh my God, he's so fucking high right now. But of course in Sam world, this was probably barely even you know, high at all. So um, he gets <laughs> up and Carl turns to me and says, we got reserved seats, are you coming? And I'm like, yeah, of course I'm coming. So the doors open, there's this long hallway to get to the stage and all, it's like Warren D. Martini and George Lynch and C.C. DeVille and you know, all these guys lined up and I'm walking through with Sam and I hear Frank and I look and there's Dweezil going, what the fuck dude, you disappeared like three hours ago. And I, just, I I'm with Sam now. And I just kept going with Sam, totally high. And uh, and I sat with his people and watched the whole show, watched Dweezil jam, came up to Dweezil at the end was so wasted. He probably just was like, God damn it. And I remember him sort of, you know, pouring me into the limo, and we drove home, and I crashed at his house that night. And he never said anything about it. Like Dweezil wasn't a dick about that stuff, but I was obviously kind of a dick about that stuff.
1: That has so many blowing, mind-blowing elements that, that <laughs> and and the least of which, but what grants me is the fact that the Nelsons, the Zappas, Amir Dirac Rock were were all in the same social circle because those are three different parties you would never. Thing to be in the same world
2: they were and that was sort of um sort of what hanging out of the zappas was like in that there was always famous people there and it wasn't always the ones you would expect because you know frank and gail had their friends from the 60s 70s 80s but also they had political friends and you know matt graining was a good friend of theirs he was around i remember matt graining a lot back then not a lot but i remember seeing him a few times um i mean there was a lot of Unlikely the, the gores after all the PMRC stuff, Tipper Gore and Al Gore became friends with the Zappos. I remember seeing, <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, you know, Mindy Cohn from the Facts of Life was yeah. around a lot. Uh, Corey Haim was around a lot. Donovan Leach Jr., you know, Donovan, the singer, yeah. actor, he was around a lot. In fact, I had a band with me, Dweezel, Donovan, and River Phoenix and Scott Tunis called Gruen. And we recorded like porn rock parodies of 80s hair metal songs. And I had there's demos and everything of it. And River was the rhythm guitar player on only two songs. I was on. Me and Dweezil played the guitars on everything. Dweezil played on leads, and River, when he was around, would play uh, on a few songs too. He's it on sounds, a song. He's on a song called "Rock Out with Your Cock Out." That I recall. Ah, uh,
1: well, it sounds like you need to write a show, a uh, that takes place in the Zappa
2: house in the late '80s. And it's I, well, I feel like, like coming that. And out of it. That's for Ahmet or Dweezil to write, you know what I mean? Like, meaning, I, I just feel, in retrospect, you know, when, I, when, when when you were in the moment, these were just kids I grew up with. So, I mean, of course, I was aware when other famous people were around, and I was aware that I was sort of in this lucky opportunity. But, like, Dweezil himself wasn't a celebrity to me. He was, like, my best friend for a long time. And Ahmet was, you know, one of my oldest friends to this day you know, Moon was sort of an older sister and Diva was like the kid sister. So, and Gail, I mean, I, you know, Gail was like, besides my mom at that time, probably the mom I was the closest to, because we were at the house all the time. We would go grocery shopping with her, to movies. I took Amit to see First Blood, you know what I mean? Like, I, we went and saw like Metal Storm, the destruction of Jared Sin and Super Fuzz and stuff, like at the Sherman Oaks Galleria. Like we go way, 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 yeah. way, way back. So like they're family friends. So it was a little trippy when all of a sudden you'd walk in and the chick from Facts of Life and Stephen Piercey were in the kitchen, but at the same time, like, you know, together, but it wasn't that unusual because it was sort of always like that, you know, it was a a wild house to grow up in, but an amazing place to grow up in because it was just filled with unique personalities and super creative stuff. And you know, everyone was an artist and everyone made music or drawings, and you would just meet these really fascinating people. And I think it, for my brother and I, we both went into different parts of show And I definitely think that exposure to all that has a lot to do with our
1: career paths, you know. For sure. Well, you have set the bar high. Whoever my next guest is on anything, I don't think that they have won <laughs> yet, the stories you do, Frank. So thank you oh. endlessly for all this information. All these stories, uh, documenting them in general, because if exactly. you hadn't documented some of these things, who would be talking about Sam Kinison partying with a 16-year-old? Yeah, well, you
2: know, I, it, it, <laughs> yeah, when you put it that way, maybe I shouldn't be documenting it. But <laughs> I will say that, Sam in, in particular, but and I, I will say this, man, for all those times, nothing other than, you know, probably doing too many, you know, hits of this or gulps of that in terms of being a kid with, yeah. with probably doing some drugs and alcohol on the way, but besides, which was my own choice. That wasn't being forced on me. And certainly wasn't peer pressure because all my Zappa friends were dead sober. So that was just me being a little rebel, you know? But that's normal kind of teenager stuff. Like really, honestly, I, there was nothing, no one ever, it was inappropriate with me. Like other than, you know, maybe Sam choosing, Sam didn't know I was 16. I looked 18 when I was a kid. I looked like I could have easily looked 21 to him. You know what I mean? Because I was tall and at that time, you know, for my little age. Uh, and I had, you know, I had facial hair. I looked like a like an adult, basically, a young adult. So I don't think any of these people were thinking they were doing anything crazy. And like, I kind of escaped when you hear all the sh- stories the Coreys have to tell. And guys who I even, you know, River Phoenix. I mean, I knew a lot of people who didn't make it or who have fucked up stories from being in show business in the 80s. And I was around for a lot of wild stuff and I saw a lot of wild stuff, but no one ever like asked me to do anything I didn't want to do or laid a hand on me. There's was no fights, there was no, you know what I mean? Like it was all pretty kind of normal. You didn't know Gizmo like that, but- you know- I didn't know Gizmo like that. <laughs> That's really, really what I'm trying to say. And Sam too, I mean, I don't want to disparage his reputation which is, I don't know that it's exactly untarnished, but like Sam didn't know I was 16. Sam was being cool to Dweezil's buddy. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. Dweezil didn't party. So, you know, he didn't know. It.
1: There you go. Well, there you go. whether it's musical, whether it's visual, whether it's a book, whatever it is, looking forward to your next project, Frank.
2: Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. The uh, Eddie Spaghetti record's out at the end of the summer. It's called Motherfucking Rock and Roll, Frank Meyer and Eddie Spaghetti. And then the new Streetwalk and Cheetahs record, One More Drink is out now, and you can find me on all the social medias, and blah, 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 blah. And looking forward to hearing what happens when you ask Eddie Spaghetti about interviewing Eddie Van Halen. I'm going to ask him two seconds after we finish this. <laughs>